Thank you so much for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, The Stressless Life. If you're joining us for the first time, let me be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Now go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Amen, Hope Church. So glad you've joined us tonight. Whether you're in the room or there's some people logging in online, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We will be there in just a few moments. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and. We've been in this series, if you've been journeying with us, or maybe you're brand new tonight, want to catch you up. We've been in a series called The Stressless Life. I don't know how that hits you right away. If you're new, you're thinking, I could use some, more, some less stress in my life. And we've been rallying around this idea for several weeks, and I want to go ahead and jump right in. We've been giving a definition of stress. A lot of us have different things to think about with stress. I want to give us a definition. We've been kind of rallying around all series long. Here's what the definition of stress is. Fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. We felt that. I I felt that. There's some stuff that happens in my life that I get some fearful concern over. When, when things happen that seem past my ability to deal with them. And that's how I kind of want to jump in today. Again, whether you've been tracking for the last several weeks or you're brand new today, I want to ask you a question that I want you to take your imaginary notebook out and I want you to actually answer in your, in your mind. Here's the question. What stresses you out? Don't answer out loud. We all got things, your imaginary notebook, you're scribbling right now. There's lots of things probably that if you're, if you're not careful, they, they, they cause concern in your life. What stresses you out? For, for several weeks now, we've been looking specifically at some very practical ways that you and I get stressed out. A couple weeks ago, we looked at our, our, our schedule, time. Some of us get really stressed out about that. That's real. Last week, Pastor Vance, we looked at budget, like money. That could be very stressful. We've been sharing some wild statistics about how the the world is pretty stressed out about that stuff. But tonight, we're going to talk about something that, if I could just say it, I think it, it hits a little different. Because this is something that I believe every person just wrote down something in regards to this in their imaginary notebook. It is the stress that we experience dealing with other people. Come on. (laughs) Even as I say that, we got some names popping up, right? Like people are messy. People are hard. Today, we're going to look at relationships. What does God's word give us some help, Lord? Help us deal with the stress of relationships. Now, we were in our teaching team meeting earlier this week. If you didn't know, we, we have a teaching team. Every week we, we meet and we, we pray over the messages together. We, we write a lot of the content together. It's such a beautiful and amazing privilege to be a part of that team. And I hope you know it's not just one guy's opinion up here every week. There's a team of people that gather together every week to pray through the, the preaching ministry of Hope Church. And we were talking about this idea and somebody threw out that they had heard at one point in a sermon or something that somebody had, had equated the relationships that we have in our lives to different kinds of fish. 
fish in the sea, fish. And they said, that, that, that if you think about it, there's different kinds of, of, of characteristics of people that are like different fish. And so I got my mind going. I'm, I'm a father of four little kids. And so I love, you know, cartoons and, and animation movies. And so I immediately started thinking of Finding Nemo. I don't know if you've ever seen Finding Nemo. And as I started to think about it, I'm like, wait a minute, this is actually real. I can see some characters in Finding Nemo that have a lot of characteristics of people in my life. And maybe you too. Now, before I even continue another word, I need to give a disclaimer for tonight, okay? As we talk, there are going to be some people, maybe even sitting next to you, that you're starting to feel some type of way about as we talk. There is no nudging allowed tonight, okay? There's none of this, did you hear that? I think he's talking to you, right? Like, let's not be the Holy Spirit for the person sitting next to you. Put your phone down unless you're taking notes. You're not texting everybody you know that needs to be here on Sunday and say, hey, there's a message for you, okay? And you'll, you'll kind of know what I mean when we continue tonight. Finding Nemo. Let's talk about some, some characteristics. Let's get into this. The first one is, is, is the namesake of the movie, Nemo. How many people have ever seen this little guy? That's fine. By the way, if you've never found, seen Finding Nemo, please do yourself a favor this weekend and go look, watch Finding Nemo. Nemo, what, what's the characteristic here? He's a clownfish. He, he's young. He's, he's passionate. He's saying, Dad, I'm trying to spread my wings. He's looking at his parents. Come on, teenagers. Why don't you trust me more? I can do more than you're allowing me to do. Some of you parents are like, that's somebody living in my house. I got some Nemos in my house. I know I got four Nemos in my house right now. Let's move on. These are my favorite characters in Finding Nemo, the turtles. These guys. They're the most laid-back people in your life. If you've seen the movie, right, it's like, it's cool, man. I'm laid back. There's, there's not a lot of stress. It's the easiest relationship you have. Don't worry, they get harder. Next character, Nemo's dad. His name is Marlin. Marlin is a control freak. No nudging. Do you know any control freaks? People in your life that always want to know exactly what's going on. No nudging, please. Don't even look their way. Of course, you can't forget about Dory, good old Dory. This is the most forgetful person in your life, right? You don't trust this person with anything. They may be great to go get coffee with, but don't trust them with anything serious because they're just going to forget it. See what I'm saying? As I got, I was like, man, this is real. Like, they really did a character study of, like, society and all these characters. Here's the next one. We've got a couple more. This guy's name is Bruce. He's known as the shark in Finding Nemo, right? Fish are friends, not food. This man is angry. This fish is, he, he can't be nothing but a shark. There's blood in the water. He's pouncing. He's angry. You know any angry people in your life? Again, he's trying. He's really trying. But at the end of the day, the dude's a shark and he's angry and there's not much you can do to change that. Puffer fish. I didn't know their name. His name is Bloat. This is bloat right here. What happens? At the first sign of stress, bloat freaks out. I mean, aren't you thinking of people? <laughs> Don't say their names. And then, of course, we'll end here. These aren't fish, but you can't, you can't forget about the seagulls. These are the most selfish people. What do these guys always say? Mine, 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 mine. These are selfish people in your life. I mean, come on. These are actual characteristics of people that you and I know. Maybe people that live in your house. 
again, you're thinking of other people, but I promise you, people are also thinking of you. <laughs> Here's another way to say it. There are easy relationships in our lives. Things, people that give you life. Man, those are easy. Thank God for the people in our lives that are life-giving. But we all know there's some stressful relationships in your house, in your cubicle, in your workplace, on your, on your sports teams, whatever, in your schools. There are people that give life, but then there are also people that just drain the life right out of you. So how can we have relationships that are more life-giving? What does God's word have for us? Well, before we get to Ephesians 4, I, I want to give us a reason, a couple reasons why I really hope, if you're not already there, I really hope you lean in today. If you're not on board yet with the Nemo illustration, here's a couple reasons I hope you lean in and why I really believe this matters. Here's a couple. First one, we all have relationships that aren't perfect. Amen? If you can't say amen to that, please, please, please come down at the end of service and please show me your Yoda ways. <laughs> All of us have relationships that aren't perfect, that cause stress, that, that, that causes fearful concern. So we're leaning in tonight. What does God's word have to say when it comes to relationships and stress? Here's the second reason I hope you lean in. Many of us have relationships that are more painful than peaceful. Like, even thinking about it right now, you're just like, man, this has got me worked up. Maybe it's your marriage. You're sitting next to that person right now, and you're like, oh, man, we're in for a ride because this is about to read our mail tonight. People in your home, people, again, in your school, in your workplace. There's got to be a better way, and praise God, there is, and we're going to see it tonight out of Ephesians chapter 4. I said we're going to be in Ephesians 4. We're going to read a bunch of verses. We're going to start in verse 17 of Ephesians as, as Ephesians 4 as a foundation, and then we're going to read a bunch of verses towards the end of the chapter. Here's what God's word says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. You say, okay, what are you, why, why that verse to start a talk on relationships? We, we just kind of parachuted in in the middle of a book of the Bible, so I've got to give some context of what the writer here is talking about. If you don't know, the writer of the book of Ephesians is a man named the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a brand new church in the city of Ephesus full of new Christians, so these are new Christians that by the Holy Spirit, he's writing this letter that now we get to enjoy as God's word to this church to show them how to live in this new walk of, of, of following Jesus. And so he, he drops down in here and he says, now I testify that you must no longer walk as, as the Gentiles. We don't have time to fully unpack that, but just suffice to say, this is a slang term for unbelievers. So I'm reminding you, Ephesians and Hope Church, don't walk or don't live like unbelievers do. That's how you used to walk. Don't do that now. Again, he's writing to a group of Christians. And, and for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, here's what you have to know. He's constantly reminding them of who they are in Christ. Love that about Paul's letters. He starts with a theological framework to say, I want to remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's who you are. You're a loved, accepted child of God. And then only in chapter 4 does he switch over to say, now that you have that as your foundation, here's how you walk it out in your life in things like relationships and other matters. I got to sit down for a minute on that because it's important for us to realize this isn't just a few quick tips on how to have better relationships. This is you and I as Jesus followers walking out our identity in Christ. 
One of the best, one of my favorite passages of scripture. He jumps right in Ephesians chapter one. Some of you have heard these verses. This is like right in the beginning of the letter. Paul trying to remind the Christians in Ephesus and remind the Christians in Las Vegas at Hope Church who they are in Christ. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's this part. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's just pause right there. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can we just like get excited about that for one minute? Maybe not, but like the bucket of God's blessing was dumped on your life. Not because you did anything special, but because he loves you. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Notice it doesn't say he chose us in him when you got your act together and, made it, and started looking like a Christian. Before the foundation of the world, you're like, I wasn't even around before the foundation of the world. Exactly. God set his heart on you before you even existed. Had nothing to do with your abilities or your behavior. That we should be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestines for adoption. I mean, we were orphans, Hope Church, and God predestines for adoption. He took us in because of his grace and his love. According to what? The purpose of his will. For three chapters, Paul's just hitting this. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus is doing inside of you. This, Hope Church, Ephesians, is who you are. So why did you start? Why do we have to start talking about relationships with this theological foundation? Because it's important to understand that theology should guide how we live our lives. How I like to say it is, what we believe should determine how we behave. So I have to know, when we talk about relationships, I have to operate not just as a father to my kids, but first, before I'm a father, I'm a son of God. Right? Moms, grandmas, before you are a mom or a grandmother and you got your little nest and everything's awesome, before you're that to those kids, you're a daughter of the king. And you operate not out of your own strength, but out of the strength he gives as his adopted son or daughter. Before you're a husband or a wife, a boss, an employee, a son or daughter of some human, you are a son and daughter of God. And so Paul starts this. This isn't five quick tips for better relationships. He's about to talk about how we should operate outside of our relationship with Jesus as an overflow, as a byproduct of who we are in Christ. It should spill out into every relationship in our lives. And that's what Ephesians 4 is. Therefore, he says, don't walk like unbelievers. Don't start living in community and, and having relationships like people that don't even know God do. So out of this passage, I wanna read, uh, out of, I, I wanna look at the, at the end of the chapter, Ephesians chapter four, verse 24 to 32. We're gonna look at some things. He starts to really drill down in some areas when it comes to relationships. Let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. We're gonna read through 32. Here's what he says in his word. Therefore, again, he just said, don't walk like unbelievers. He unpacks that a little bit and then he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's what I want to do in our remaining time together. I want to look again on the basis of who we are in Christ as we approach relationships. Right now, Paul just turned a page in Ephesians chapter 4, and he immediately starts talking to the Ephesians about the relationships that they are having in their lives. All the relationships that we have in our lives as a Christian community, as a church family, in our homes. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give us out of this passage, verse by verse, five questions we're going to ask of ourselves. Notice I didn't say five questions you're going to text your friend tonight. These are five questions we're going to introspectively ask of ourselves right from this passage of Scripture. Here's the first one. Think about relationships. Am I being honest? Am I being honest? Start in verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, we, for we are members of one another. He contrasts two words, this idea of falsehood and then this, this idea of speaking truth. Again, we're gonna have to unpack that too much tonight. Falsehood is another word for lying or not being truthful. It's not just lying with your words. It's sometimes withholding things that you should say that are true, but you are walking in falsehood. He's saying, don't do that. Instead, what does he say? Speak truth. We understand this. Relationships are built on trust. No matter what the relationship, when the trust isn't there, the relationship becomes strained and stressful, and I'm constantly looking for ways that I may be lied to and the question we have to ask right out of this passage is, am I being honest? Are you allowing, when you're speaking truth, are you allowing the things that you say to, to, to shape your relationships and you are constantly being open and honest in every relationship you have? Again, not just not, just not lying, but sometimes withholding truth that you should be saying and being open and vulnerable and honest. Try to give an example out of my own life. I'm married to my amazing wife, Candace. We've been married for 14 years almost, and uh, we are different people in a lot of ways. Maybe you're different than your spouse. For instance, there are two types of people in the world. There are people that when something starts at five, they get there at five or before, right? So there's that type of, there's somebody that's on time. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. And then the other group of people are people that are wrong, now, I'm not going to tell you who is wrong in our relationship, but let me just be here and say I, I'm right, okay? <laughs> this has caused some stress over the years, as you might imagine, because what happens, and it doesn't happen as much, praise God, but when we are going to be late to something, I start pacing the house because I'm just upset about it. And I don't know if you've ever had just a full-grown man pacing the house. It's pretty obvious that something's the matter. And I'm pacing the house, and I'm asking questions that aren't really that helpful to try to incite some, some movement to get in the minivan to go where we're supposed to go. And she has told me that stresses me out. And I have told her being late stresses me out. So what does this have to do with honesty? 
How do we avoid this? It's not avoided at all times, but over the years we've learned, man, let's have a conversation about how to avoid this in the future by being honest with each other of how this affects us in the present. When this happens, babe, I, I get stressed out. I kind of get angry. And, and you can help me. If you know we're going to be late, just let me know way in advance. Like, I think we're running late today. And I will try to not pace the house like a lunatic and make you upset. It's, it's sitting down and saying, let's just be honest and vulnerable and share these things in our lives that we know are actually causing stress. Because here's what the opposite of that is. If I withhold it, and again, I want this to be as practical as possible. If you and I withhold the things that we're really thinking when we should be speaking truth, what happens unintentionally is we start creating landmines for people. And those landmines get stepped on and they don't even know they exist and something blows up and then it just causes more stress in the relationship because I wasn't willing to be honest and put aside falsehood and speak truth. So I need to be honest, not just in the things that I say, but I also need to be honest in the things, and I need to, to speak truth and, and, and show that I care about what the things that stress other people out. I need to be vulnerable and to, and to understand that I need to give a little there as well. It's about being truthful, putting aside falsehood, vulnerability. It's the first thing out of this passage, am I being honest? Again, hopefully these are real practical ways to, to you're thinking about relationships as we're talking tonight. Here's the second question out of this passage. Am I acting out of anger? It says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If we're honest, that, kind of, that sounds a little schizophrenic. Be angry, do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, if you didn't know, the Bible was not written in the English language. This is really important when we're studying passages like this because these two words for anger are actually different words in the original language. So that's really helpful. This first word for angry is a word that can be good or bad. Even Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he experienced anger. There's a way, as this verse says, to be angry about something yet not sin because Jesus was sinless and he was angry, but he never sinned. So there's a way to see wrong happening actual injustice, things that aren't okay and truth being spoken in that way is for you to maybe be angry at some of those things. Some of those things are happening in our lives. So Paul says, be angry in community. There's a way to be angry and not be sinful. But then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is another Greek word. This is a deep-seated resentment that begins to rise. Some of you felt that. Even now, I kind of see some of your faces start to get a little mad because you're thinking about that. Something happens. Somebody spoke a word. Your spouse said something to you. Your kid said something to you, and you just start to feel your blood pressure just rise. And it's not that you're really mad about the injustice. You're mad about how it made you feel, and there's a deep-seated resentment that starts to rise up. Here's what Paul is saying when he says, in relationships, be angry at good things that you need to be angry about. Wrong, injustice. But make sure you don't sin and, and then make sure you don't let the sun go down on that resentful attitude that you just won't let go of. The first anger leads to a righteous action. I wanna fix this for the betterment of my family, for the betterment of my marriage. This other one is like, I just wanna prove that I'm right. I just want to prove that, that you wronged me and I'm upset about it. 
Say, what do I do? I'm feeling that. Like right now in this relationship, I'm feeling that. Well, later on in this passage, Paul tells us what to do through the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, he says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. My encouragement, Paul's encouragement, the Holy Spirit's encouragement is in those moments where you just can't let it go. Open your hands and the Bible says, forgive. You say, they didn't ask for forgiveness, God. I'm not gonna forgive because they didn't ask for forgiveness. Well, praise God, Hope Church, that Jesus didn't wait for me to ask for forgiveness before he died on the cross. That's why it says, just as God in Christ forgave you way before you ever asked for forgiveness. Unforgiveness will destroy a relationship. I, I don't know where the quote came from, but I heard a quote one time that's always stuck with me. And I was reviewing this message today. I was just thinking about it. The quote is, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I don't know who said that, but it's great. (laughs) And it's true. Like I'm just holding on to something and it's actually hurting me more than it's hurting them. And it's actually like me drinking poison and waiting for something to happen to them. That's why it says you should be kind to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. When I sit in my anger, when I... When I get mad about something, I just hold on to it. Verse 27, I mean, what a powerful verse. It says that when you do that in your relationships, you are giving the devil an opportunity. I had this picture this week as I was locking up my house. I Probably like you, I, I lock my house up at night. I set the alarm and I feel safe because there's no open doors. The alarm is set. And this just said, if I'm angry, if I'm holding on to that thing and I'm letting the sun go down on my anger and I'm stewing in that and I just want to be resentful about it, I'm opening the door wide open for the enemy to come into my life and my relationships and just wreak havoc. Powerful. Like As I hold on to the things that even right now as I say that, you're thinking about things you're holding on to. The devil is having an opportunity in your life. Am I acting out of anger? He continues. Here's the third question. Am I focused on what I can give or what I can get? Am I focused on what I can give or what I can get? Here's the verse. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, you may be thinking, what on earth does that have to do with relationships? Again, as you unpack the original language, which we always want to do here, we always want to look deeper at what this text says. That word share is a very relational word. It's a word that means invest in. It's a word that means do do life with. So it's saying as you share, the other option is stealing. What is that? I feel entitled to that, so I'm taking it. So in my relationships, am I in those things just for what I can steal and get for myself? Or do I understand that God has me in that relationship to share what he's doing in and through me? And it's not just about what this person is going to give to me, but it's about what I can give to them. What if we looked at every relationship? Not so my needs can be met, but I'm on the lookout for how I can meet others' needs in the relationship. Maybe God doesn't have those people that you're thinking about right now in your life to get something from. Maybe he has those people in your life for what you can do for them. Am I focused on what I can give or what I can get? Moving right along. Continuing in this passage. Here's the fourth question. Am I intentional with the words I speak? 
Am I intentional with the words I speak? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good is for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is maybe the most bottom shelf one we're talking about today. We all in relationships have been hurt by the power of words. Words are very powerful. Paul gives us a couple ways that, that words are powerful. He says here first that what we say is very important. He says there in verse 29, he says, let no unwholesome. It's a beautiful word that really looks like the, the, the rotten banana on your counter right now. It's rotten, it's bad, it's trash. Don't let that come out of your mouth, it's saying. We understand that words are powerful to hurt us. Again, I, I wanna be sensitive here. I know there's some things even right now are firing off things that people have said to you in a context of a relationship. Parent, child, husband, wife, boss, employee. There's some things that have been said to you that just cut you to the core. Words are powerful. We can say something in 10 seconds that can last 10 years in the hearts of the person that we said it to. Words are, are powerful. So Paul says, don't, don't let those powerful, unwholesome words even leave your mouth. But what's the other alternative? He says, only give words that, that build up. We've all, again, we understand that, that words are helpful to, uh, words are powerful to help us. Like we can think of times where we just had life spoken into us. Somebody said something to us that just absolutely built us up. That's what Paul's saying here. No matter what the relationship is, don't use your words to hurt people and speak unwholesome things to the people in your family, in your workplace, in your marriage. Use words that only build up. As I evaluate my relationships, am I, am I using words in every relationship I have that just build up the people around me? Speak life into those relationships. Jesus had a lot to say about this. Jesus, he, would, he always had this way of talking about really deep things just in a very conversational way. And in one time in Luke chapter six, verse 45, he said this about our words. He says, hey, don't forget what you say flows out of what is in your heart. I mean, think about that. Man, as I think about my words today, all I'm doing is telling everyone around me what's really going on inside me. That's what Jesus just said. What comes out of my mouth flows from what's in my heart, in my relationships. Am I doing everything to make sure I'm saying words that don't tear down but build up? What we say is very important. But second thing is when we say what we say is very important. It says there at the end of verse 29, according to the need of the moment. Let's just be real, old church. It's possible to say the right thing at the wrong time. Yeah. Any husbands say amen? <laughs> I'll give you an example. Just last week, I was actually on a trip with Pastor Vance. Uh, he was speaking at different places, and I was with him, and just worked out our flight got back super late. Like last Wednesday, we got back like at midnight. And my wife, she's so gracious, she didn't make me take an Uber, and she offered to come get me at the airport at like 12, 15 in the morning. She's great. The story just gets worse from there. <laughs> I'm tired, but so is she. I just woke her up to come pick me up from the airport. I, I get to my house, and we pull into the garage, and I've shared this before, but we have like a garage gym in our house. A bunch of people come and work out there, and, and I, I step out of the car, and to be honest with you, and some of them are here tonight, it's cool, like the 
the garage gym didn't look great. I was like, what happened to my gym? Like, stuff's not where it belongs and things aren't put back. And I said out loud, I said, hey, what happened to the gym and why does it look like this? And she looked at me and she said, it is midnight. I don't care. <laughs> Amen. Listen, as I was preparing this week, look at what the book of Proverbs says in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. Let me say, Hope Church, that might have been the right thing, but my wife was not praising me for my timely word. It's possible to say the right thing at the wrong time. So Paul here is saying, hey, as you speak those words that build up, even as you have those hard conversations, are you doing that in the context of understanding there's a right time to share those things? Again, I think we can all get real practical and just think about times that that's happened to us and times where we've dropped the ball like I did last week. And don't miss what it's connected to. Verse 30, when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Man, there's a way that I can talk to my family. I can talk to my coworkers. I can talk to my friends in a way that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. That's sobering. And it makes me want to watch my words by the power of the Holy Spirit. Am I intentional with the words I speak? Here's the last one. Am I trying out of my own strength or am I trusting God to do what only he can do? Am I trying out of my own strength or am I trusting Christ to do what only he can do? Look at the verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Where do you get this idea of your own strength versus trusting Christ? The bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, what are those? Those are all byproducts of Scott Worthington living out of my flesh. What is Kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving, those are all byproducts of what Christ does in us. How do we know that? Well, that word, let all be put away, this is great. It's a passive verb in the original language. What does that mean? We talk about it all the time. It means the action was done to me. So as I abide in Christ, I don't put bitterness and wrath and all that. I don't just pull myself up from my bootstraps and try my hardest to get that stuff out of my life. No, it says, let it be put away from you as you're abiding in Christ. It's a passive thing that happens to you. And the only way that happens to you is if you lean into who Christ is, who is tender and kind and forgiving in my relationship. So when I, am I trying out of my own strength? Or am I, again, back to where we started as a foundation of my relationship with Jesus is an overflow of who I am in Christ. Am I trying to do it in my own and have the best relationships around my town? Or am I trusting in the only one that can really move through me? Am I trusting Christ to do what only he can do? I can't in my own strength remove those things that bring stress and strain and pain to my relationships. But Paul ends this passage saying, let it be put away from you. Remember who you are, Christians. And as you abide in Christ, you will be tender, hearted, kind, forgiving. So let's land the plane. How, how should we handle this passage, these five questions? Here's my challenge to you tonight. Evaluate every relationship in your life. I mean, imagine how powerful this would be if this week we took 
all the main relationships in your life. You're looking at everyone in your home. You're looking at, you're looking at your workplace. You're looking at everyone that you interact with on a day-to-day basis. And you're one by one taking that person's name and saying, God, am I being honest in this relationship? Am I speaking truth and putting away falsehood? God, God am, I, am, I, am I in this thing for what I can get out of them? Or am I looking for opportunities to give out of what you're giving to me? Am I speaking words intentionally, Lord? Am I helpful in the way that I speak? Am I operating in this relationship with this person? Make it real. Make it specific. Am I operating out of my own strength? God, am I angry in my relationships? Am I letting my anger really be the driver of every relationship in my life? What if we evaluated our relationships? end with one more verse. Romans chapter 12, a very important verse when it comes to relationships. Here's what the Bible says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What does that mean? You can evaluate your relationships, Hope Church. You can, you can say, God, I've evaluated and I want to do better by your power. And you can only do what you can do. You cannot control the response of the people that you are in relationship with. But here's the deal. You won't stand before God and give an account for their response to what you said. You'll stand before God and give a response to him about how you responded to his leading in that relationship. So I love that the Bible says, listen, it's not on you if they don't listen. It's not on you if they don't reciprocate what you're putting down. If possible, as far as it depends on you, we do us by the power of the Holy Spirit and you let God work on them. That doesn't change my response. So maybe today you're here. I said it earlier. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, listen, we just looked at a passage of scripture written to Christians. I taught it as it should be taught to Christians. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not Christian. We've said it all series long. You can't know this peace that we're talking about. You can't know the peace of God without knowing the God of peace. And here's the good news. Today... He has done everything needed to be done for you to enter into a relationship with him. And everything we just read from Ephesians, everything about being adopted as his son or daughter, chosen before the founder, all that is true of you if you say yes to Jesus Christ in a relationship, in a friendship, and every single week. We never want to end a time. We want to have a, a clear representation of that, that Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself. You were in your sin. I was in my sin. And Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross in our place. We've just been singing about it. And he rose again. We're going to celebrate that at Easter. Why did he rise again? To show that he had defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now he stands ready to give you what you can never get yourself. And that's forgiveness and peace and eternal life. You never know all the things that we just talked about, this peace of God, unless you know the God of peace. And so in just a moment, there's going to be some pastors down here. Every single week, we want to share the gospel. doesn't matter if we're talking about money or schedules or relationships. The gospel is no respecter of the sermon that is happening. Jesus saves who he wants to save. And so maybe tonight you're here or you're logging in online and you're like, man, I think, he, I think he's talking to me right now. Maybe in this moment, right when we stand up to sing, you just want to come down and say, man, I feel drawn to this God who, say, who wants to save me. Praise God. We'd love to show you from the Bible how you can be saved and be called a, a loved, accepted child of God tonight. 
for others of us Christians, maybe during this song, you're just evaluating those relationships. Where right now is God through the Holy Spirit putting his finger in your life in an area in a relationship? I say it all the time. I love this time. We can preach the word. We can have a service, but God does what he wants to do. And in this moment, I think God may be speaking to some of you that you just need to maybe repent of some things. You need to maybe call somebody as soon as service is over. You need to have a little chat in your home later on because you've seen maybe I haven't been operating out of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. My plea to you is let the Holy Spirit do whatever he's doing in your heart right now. Maybe the moment you want to come up here and just pray about something else going on, some stuff going on in your family and the finances, with your health. Every week we love to pray for our people and just ask God to do what only he can do. God, right now in this moment, as we respond, would you do what only you can do? Maybe right now, Lord, you are drawing people to yourself, to salvation. Maybe today somebody knows, like several have over the last few weeks, God is calling me to open up my life and to surrender it to Christ. God, I pray right now you would not let that person leave this place without surrendering their lives to Jesus. I pray for the Christian in here who's really struggling in a relationship. God, would you give them right now in this moment peace and power and the words to say or the conversation to have or the next step that would help that relationship bring more peace to their lives and the the person they're in a relationship with. God, whatever's going on in the hearts of these people, would you move and work and have your way? trust you in Jesus' name.